Hey, what's up you guys? This is Joshua Tongle. And what I want to do now is that I want to continue to challenge some of the building blocks of penal substitutionary theory. One of the ideas is that God is too holy to look upon sin, and the other idea is that Jesus was forsaken on the cross by His Father. Now we're all familiar with this, that on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is known as a cry of dereliction. This is interpreted as a moment when the Father, being too holy to look on sin, turns his back on his own son and hides his face from him. In other words, the father forsakes the son. Now this has been put in different ways as supposedly at the cross, the father rejected his son, abandoned his son, turned his back on him, hid his face from him, that Jesus was forsaken or even that the Trinity was broken. Now this is very important because how we understand the crucifixion shapes our understanding of who God is and what he is like. So where does this idea come from? And this basically comes from Habakkuk 1.13 that says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. And from this, people have developed this whole notion that God is too holy to look on sin, which is why He had to forsake His innocent Son. But is this correct? So is God too holy to look on sin? This idea is blended with some of the dualistic assumptions of Greek thinking that some people held to throughout church history. This basically assumes that deity cannot have contact with evil because it exists on two radically different levels of reality. Now, if you look at the rest of the verse of Habakkuk 1.13, what does it say? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So in effect, Habakkuk is basically saying this, you're a holy God and you can't look on sin, so why do you? The NASB has a better translation. It says, your eyes are too pure to approve evil and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. So even when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they hid. But guess what? God still pursued them. And like Adam, many of us think that God wouldn't even want to look at us after we've sinned. But how could God judge something He does not look upon? Is it just dependent upon His knowledge or His omniscience? Is it something He just knows? I mean, He can't really see it, right? Because He's too holy to look upon sin. It's kind of like you about to witness a crime, but then you look away when it's finally committed. I mean, isn't God watching us all the time? Or is it that whenever we sin, He kind of closes His eyes or He looks away because He's too holy? I mean, forget about people's actions. How does this work if God is too holy to look upon sin when people have evil thoughts every day? You're going to see how ridiculous this idea is, yet this is how people argue when they talk about God turning His back on His own Son because He's too holy to look on sin, and yet the Gospels don't even say that. Sin is not some sort of kryptonite to God. So does God look on sin? Absolutely. Proverbs 15.3 says, The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping His eye on both the evil and the good. This whole idea of God being too holy to look on sin goes against Scripture and common sense. This also divides and messes up the unity of the Trinity. Now, do we believe that the Holy Spirit is God? Of course. But isn't it kind of weird that the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, but yet the Father can't look on sin because He's too holy? Is a Father holier than the Holy Spirit? If the Father is too holy to look on sin, then how do we understand the Incarnation when Christ came in fallen flesh and assumed our Adamic humanity? Or what about the fact that Jesus lived and dwelt among sinners? He hung out with them, He ate with them, He even looked at them. Jesus not only looked at sin, He took it upon Himself. In fact, in Paul's mind, He even became sin. So does a father have a weaker stomach than the Son and the Spirit when it comes to sin? Or are they just more merciful? Or are they just less holy? 
Should we conclude that the Father, Son, and Spirit have opposing minds when it comes to sin? If that's the case, then how do we understand their unity? Is there some sort of split personality within the Godhead? So was Jesus forsaken by the Father? Did the Father reject Him? Did the Father hide His face from Him? Based upon the fact that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some people say yes. But isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't even say that the Father rejected and turned His back on His Son. And it doesn't explicitly say that the Father forsook Him. But even if it did say those things, what kind of message would that send? There's something very disturbing about this interpretation. Because everywhere else in Scripture, we're told that we shouldn't fear. Because God is with us. That He will not abandon us in our times of trial. That He is our refuge and our ever-present help in times of trouble. So the question still remains. Why would the Father abandon His own Son in His greatest time of need? Isn't it ironic for Jesus, who was completely obedient to His Father, even unto death, to be rewarded with rejection? And if God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, how could He turn His back on His own Son? The fact that I'm rejecting this notion of the Father forsaking His Son is nothing new. In fact, some of the patristic and medieval theologians throughout church history didn't hold to this idea as well. So was Jesus forsaken by His Father? The textual source of His cry is found in Psalm 22. And once you read the context, it's pretty clear what's going on. Psalm 22:24 says, For He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden His face from Him, but has listened to His cry for help. Now some people have argued against this, saying that we shouldn't read this cry of dereliction in light of the entire psalm. But my question is, why not? Other parts of the psalm seem to match with the context of the crucifixion. Psalm 22 says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. This whole narrative echoes a psalm throughout, and I'm sure that the writers of the Gospels expected their readers to be drawn to the background of Psalm 22 in order to understand the crucifixion. So why the cry of abandonment? It's interesting to notice that this is the only time where Jesus calls His Father God. Why is that? Remember that in the Incarnation, He joined Himself to our humanity and to our fallen condition. Romans 8.3 says that He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, Jesus was just like us. He put on Adam's glasses and He saw the world through fallen humanity and He felt the same things that we felt. But I've heard some people describe Jesus as though He were this superhuman being where He was completely different from us. But folks, He had to take upon our fallen humanity in order to redeem it, in order to save us. As the saying goes, the unassumed is the unhealed. He was human just like us and tempted in every way, yet without sin. So here's Jesus on the cross because of our sin, dying in agony, abandoned by humanity, and identifying with us in every way, in our humanness, in our brokenness, in our darkness, and in our pain. So was He forsaken? No but He felt forsaken, He felt alienated, He felt abandoned, just like us. And His cry was a response from the depths of human suffering. He cried out these words as one of us and on behalf of us. But the irony is that in His feeling of abandonment, He still cries out, My God. And it's just like many of us in some of our darkest moments, we've said, God, where are you? 
we know He's there, but sometimes we just don't feel Him. If Jesus did experience spiritual separation or rejection by His Father, then why did He tell the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise? Or why did He say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? That sure doesn't sound like His Father abandoned or rejected Him. This whole idea of God turning His back or hiding His face from His own Son because of His holiness creates this distorted view of an untrustworthy Father who abandons you in your greatest time of need or even in your darkest hour. You see, the Trinity is not a bigger version of a dysfunctional family of the Son being abandoned by the Father, nor is it one of domestic violence of the Father unleashing His anger upon His Son in order to satisfy His wrath. So let me tell you this, God's eyes are not closed no matter how messed up your situation might be. So what this means is that Jesus, God Himself, understands everything about the human condition, even despair, so that His compassion and His sympathy for us is genuine. He didn't dispassionately observe our human struggle. He entered it. You see, He didn't hide in a closet or turn His face away from sin because of His holiness. No, He absorbed it. He took it upon Himself and He defeated death. But not only that, He gave us new life. God is radically for you, and He is radically against anything that gets in the way of you experiencing His love. God will never reject you. He will never abandon you. He will never turn His back on you. He will never hide His face from you, and He will never forsake you. This is the God revealed at the cross. Thanks for watching, guys. Peace.